Welcome to episode 3 of Learning with Young Leaders. Today, we are hearing from Benjamin, a private equity professional at Alvarium Investments. He's also the founder of Kinobi, a digital mentoring career platform. Benjamin has always been an exceptional individual since his university days, where he started many high-impact communities, including the Mentoring Circle and Singapore Management University. In today's episode, Benjamin describes how his change of perspective granted him renewed confidence, why giving is more important than taking, and how he managed to enter the private equity industry. If you haven't already done so, do drop us a five-star review and leave your comments on who you'd like to hear from or what topics you'd like to see discussed. Thank you, and now let's dive into Benjamin's perspectives. Hi, Benjamin. Welcome to the show. Hi. Yeah, su- yeah, super great to have you on the show. And I remember, it's quite funny. I don't know whether you've seen me before, but I've met you at um, this event I hosted a while back, the uh, Career Champions Professional Networking Night, where you came down as a guest to speak. Mm, okay. Yeah, yeah and, and I remember back then, you're almost like a superstar, right? People were like swarming up to you after the event and they, they just wanted to... Right. I remember you were one of the very last to, to leave, right? And hmm. yeah, they, they almost wanted to go home with you or something. <laughs> <laughs> I think, I yeah, think so, you so highly of me. <laughs> yeah, so that, that was the image I had of you. I mean, I haven't met you personally before, but that was yeah. the, the image yeah. I had. And yeah, I mean, you've had quite the portfolio, right? I went onto your LinkedIn, looked through your thing. It took me a while to just get through all the experiences you had. And mm. yeah, why don't you share a bit about yourself? We can start where yeah. you, the very first one I saw was this, the FinTech venture that you did in junior college. Oh, FinTech venture. Okay. Right. Okay, let me but maybe we, okay. Yeah, maybe we could start like, what kind of a student were you in JC? In JC, yeah. Okay, that's, that's an interesting question actually. Um, when I was in JC, I would say that like, I was quite nerdy. Like, you know, you know, just like, you just kind of do not know what you want to do in life. Mm. You just know that you have certain values. There are certain things that perhaps you're trying to figure out. And you're just trying to find out who you are as a person. So, I'll say the defining moment for me in, in junior college was when I went to the US for this thing called Global Young Leaders Conference. Okay. So, I went to the US, to New York and Washington, DC for around one month. And it was there that I realized that, hey, you know, like Singaporeans are really sheltered. Mm-hmm. And sheltered, what I mean by that is that, like, we're not very street smart. So it is actually a very United Nations kind of like debate conference that I, okay. I attended. So everyone's there, like, having this mock UN debate. And you can see the other people in other countries, whether it's like South Africa, US, even those from Japan and Korea. And you find that the Asians tend to not speak up. Mm. They tend to be very reserved. And in the end, the people who speak up and people who vote for and are influential tend to be the Westerners. And that, that taught me one thing. It taught me mainly that like, it doesn't matter whether you think you have the substance. You just need to believe in whatever you have and you just go for it. Yeah, mm. But at the same time, of course, it doesn't mean that you just go for things. right? Because during that conference itself, I realized that a lot of Westerners, they, they just don't have the, the substance. But then when they <laughs> okay. talk, they sound so convincing mm. and they can just like, okay, you know, this, 
this house believes that uh, we should go for America's stance in this and this and this. And everyone is like, wow, okay, let's support this idea. But then when you truly ask them why you actually do this, you, they can't really substantiate. So I took back from the conference mainly this idea that I need to learn how to present myself well. Mm. Because of where I am, I just need to have both the substance and the form. So that was my main defining factor in junior college. So when I, when I came back, I, I started questioning a lot of things because I realized that um, why study so hard? You know, like we are all going through this education system mm-hmm. and why study so hard for A-levels when at the end of the day, there are so many opportunities in the world. And that was where it goes back to the point of that fintech startup. So it was actually, it is actually a... So you started the, it after you PWC. went for the conference? Yeah. No, it's like kind of, you know, PWC is like a... Sure, yeah. the entire year one. Yeah, Correct. year one. And yeah. then this was in uh, June of uh, J1. Okay. Yeah, so it was like in the middle, you're kind of figuring out what topic was and then like putting it together. And so like, I realized that this was my PW project. I really wanted to do this thing to amalgamate all the cards in your wallet together. So mm-hmm. what I did is that the topic was on amalgamate. So I was like, why not create something like Google Wallet? Like at the point of time, nobody really thought about it. Like, you know, everyone just thought that, you know, your, your, your entire wallet is just like different physical cards. Nobody thought about like putting it all in one phone and using RFID technology. Mm-hmm. But back in 2010, like this was very novel technology. Um, the, only, the only person who did it was Google Wallet. And even to today, Google Wallet is not even popular, right? Like people mm-hmm. use Apple Pay. Yep. Even though Google Wallet has been there for 10 plus years. So uh, we went into that. I went in with some friends, uh, this guy from uh, Bukit Panjang, he went to ACJC. This other guy was a genius at NUS High. So uh, we we three did it together. We pitched to DBS, and uh, I think oh, there was one senior vice president. We, Back then, you were we, how old? You were. You were like eight, I. I think eight, this was eight, J two. Yeah, wow. Okay. <laughs> yeah, so I pitched to the the SVP at DBS for, for cards, and then he's like, "Oh, this sounds a very interesting idea. You know, they have a prototype." And then like we just showed him how it would look like because my friend is like really good at like math, right? For NUS High, uh, he's like doing set theory, number theory, and stuff like that. So he figured out how to build this on on Linus. Linux and then like we showed it to him and he's like wow you know great stuff but then the next point that we went forth in the in the presentation was that hey you want to amalgamate this with UOB and like OCBC mm. and it's like of course not you know like <laughs> like just on one bank itself and you're like okay you know that, that's not going to work out in a way and you can't really condense him and he's like okay you know like what you just are just A-level kids right go back to school and study you know focus on A-levels instead of doing this so I think at the point of time, we were, I was a bit dejected mm. because there was something that I really believed in and I wanted to do. And uh, it's sort of going against your parents, right? You know, at the point of time, I felt like my parents didn't understand me. I felt like my teachers didn't understand what I was trying to do. Like, they thought that this whole fintech thing was some, some hogwash nonsense, you know? Okay. Back in, back in 2010, the entrepreneurship scene was not really pronounced yet. Mm. Uh, that was back when uh, the only accelerator in Singapore is called GFBI. Okay. Uh, and... <laughs> And Amazon Web Services was not as big. They were actually begging people to use their credits. That was in 2010. Yeah, that was how, how long it was. And I still remember that was where I, I pitched uh, this idea to SMU IIE. I can actually send you a video of it. Like I pitched that and I was like 18. And then like, <laughs> if like, it was one minute, like kind of like pitch about why they should buy this idea and like they should support me. Okay. Yeah, so that, That's interesting. That was what I was in junior college in a way. Misunderstood. Felt angry at the world. Felt like you know, you just didn't really want to study. Yeah, mm. was Th- this was back when you were still studying for A-levels, right? Was that, that period yeah, of time yeah, as this well? this was the period of time, yeah. Okay. Must yeah. have been difficult juggling both? I, I don't think I juggled both. I, I just gave it up. 
you still made it to SMU in the end. Yeah, but it's killing my teeth, I guess. Right? I didn't do that well for levels. Okay, so yeah. moving... So did that sort of shape the the mindset you went into university with after that experience or... Yeah, I, I, it's a good question actually. But then, uh, so when I went to national service, I realized that, hey, you know, there are certain things which I, I might have done differently. Because when I was in engineering college, I was not very responsible. I was president of debate society, but then I, I think I fell out with certain of my debate members and I didn't attend trainings despite being the president. And I just, I just like, you know, ghosted the entire society, uh. Mm. Yeah, so I, I wasn't I didn't just go for anything I just cut off ties with people and when that happened it was only in national service that I sort of regained my confidence in both uh, leading and also in um, my own abilities you know put that way because at that point of time you know, you know you didn't do well for A-levels right so you just get very very like affected by it especially so in the Singapore context because most of our lives are determined by grades anyway it's the kind of structure sadly, that we live sadly in yeah, so. sadly you know like like it takes a bit of time before you get a break out there and realize that yeah. life's not about grades. Yeah, so I think at the point of time in national service, that that kind of shaped how I, I started to think about life itself and how I should treat people. So I think the defining moment in national service was uh, when I wanted to go OCS and I, didn't, I couldn't go to OCS. So I tried my best um, and I still remember really putting a lot of effort and I mean, my whole platoon was uh, pretty good. You know, like, my, out of my entire platoon, half of them got gold five PVD. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's how driven my platoon was. So it was tough, you know, tough competition. Although, like, and then in, in the end, I, I, get, I didn't get inside OCS. So I was quite devastated. I went to SCS instead. And I think it was when I was at SCS, uh, there was, like, this guy who, like, retorted and said, like, oh, you know, I thought you should be in OCS and those guys, you know, like, why you join us here? And then, like, you're just going to make things life difficult for us because you're so young and stuff like that. Oh, okay. And then I was like, yeah, then that was kind of when I started to change uh, my perspective. And I think the main the perspective changed the most when I went to military police because then SES I tried to go OCS again, tried to cross over. I mm. couldn't get in. I just I lost like narrowly to this other guy. Yeah. And yeah, so the other guy went and I didn't go. Yeah. So you know, I was very dejected again. And then went to military police. I, I just gave up totally. I just like, you know what? Um no point trying to figure out and achieve things in, in national service. Mm. Just go to flow. Just try to be... So how, how did your perspective change at that point yeah. in time? You said you were... Your perspective changed in some sense, right? Yeah, yeah. So just try to be a, a person that, that people enjoy being with. Yeah, so I think that's, that's the main uh, takeaway from that. Because when I focus on en- being a person people enjoy be- being with, uh, that sort of allowed... Um, myself to be a human with another person and mm. to share my flaws, share my strengths, share everything I have. And that's where, despite the fact that I didn't want to win certain awards, I got it. Yeah, so I, I think that was a really defining moment in my military life that you, when you put others first and when you put the welfare and like, you know, everything of others before you, and you don't care about the goal in a way that like the goal, you enjoy the process, right? You mm. do not like hanker over it to the point that you get so obsessed over it. And that's where you really enjoy the process. And that's where you enjoy the process, not just with yourself, but with everyone else and everyone wins in the end of the day. So I think that's, that's what I really took away from in perspective from national service. So, so were there like um, specific actions you took 
to take the next step into interacting with people or was it just um i don't know how how did how did that thing just change like so suddenly mm-hmm. i'll say that like you know when you feel right when you feel mm-hmm. you feel dejected it's normal it's a normal feeling yep. to have and when that happens you start to introspect and ask yourself what's wrong and when you do that people around you who really care for you would come after you yeah and these people are still my close friends today and from national service close friends today and they would and they'll be the ones who actually be there for you they'll be there to console you be there to tell you that hey you know you're not you know as bad as what you think and i think that's where you start to realize that hey you know like you're not alone in this there's other people who really care for you and that's in a way who you should achieve things for rather than yourself. Okay. So then moving into university, you went in with this renewed confidence and drive yeah. to, to do something better? I would say that, yes, uh, renewed confidence and drive. Uh, interesting words. I, 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 think, I think yes in a way. I, I never really thought of it that way, but then I guess you could, you could use those words. So I had this really good friend of mine in, in national service who actually put me through most of it. And then when we finished national service, we actually told ourselves that, hey, you know, we, are, we want to change and like do well in university. Anyway, this was our, our last chance in terms of education to, to show that, you know, hey, you know, like, you're, not, you're not like stupid, you want to like do well mm-hmm. and things like that. So before we started university, we started studying. Like it sounds completely wow. stupid <laughs> like, when I thought about it. But then back then when I, when I actually did it, I didn't think it was a waste of time. So we would actually go to uh, Sixth Avenue and then, uh, what was it? Simply Bread. Yeah, still remember the cafe. And then me and him, we would just like study. I was studying my economics and then he would study his physics. He's going to enter physics. And then uh, we would just like study for, for the past few months. And uh, at the point of time, I was also teaching at School of the Arts. So I managed to get myself a part-time job teaching humanities and social sciences. So that was where I, I alternated between either teaching and then also study. And that's where I sort of um, got this renewed kind of vigor in terms of studies again, uh, back from like against what I had in JC where I just completely <clears throat> said that I didn't want to study. Yeah, so I think that's, that's something that sort of changed before I went to university. Okay, then moving into university and you've clearly founded a few clubs and societies along the way and then eventually made your way into the P space you are right now, right? Mm, yep. So, was PE something you wanted right from the start or did you find yourself along the way throughout un- the uni life? Um, okay, I, probably I'll just tackle the PE side and then after I'll talk about uh, the clubs, right? Mm. Okay, so, for private equity, I would say that honestly, nobody knows what private equity is when you step into university. Yep. Um, like it's similar to when you're in junior college or in polytechnic you only know what a doctor and a lawyer is and even then these are because they're popular right and they, they're hard to get inside it's like wow well, you need six A's to get inside mm-hmm. so, yeah, like four A's uh, you know but then uh, you don't really know what it means you don't know what the, the job actually requires and, and what toll does, does it take on your life or what hours do they work right you know, these are not considerations about time you're just thinking about like oh you know my my cousin, my my um, uncle has done this and it sounds cool and like people place a lot of prestige on that and that's why I do it. I think that's the kind of things we attach to careers at the point of time. So even when you go to SMU, even let's say those starting starting a business, you don't know what marketing is. Unless maybe you're from polytechnic, you have a better idea but then that you don't really have. As for myself in economics, I, 
I never really knew what I wanted to become. Uh, I would say that like after teaching at School of the Arts, I really wanted to teach again and like continue teaching. That was, that was something I was looking forward to or even join the government uh, in like EDB or IE Singapore mm. at the point of time before it was called ESG. So I, I really wanted to do that. But then I joined this thing called um, Cognitari and SNU. And how I joined Cognitari is, is like, because I'm not a scholar, right? I, I, I don't know what Cognitari was at the start. And that was the first year that Cognitari opened up its applications to non-scholars. And so at the point of time when I first started at SMU, I didn't really have many friends who went economics in me, or rather I, not close friends. So I, I, just, I just started like applying for things. I spent more time with my, my current wife, my girlfriend. I went to NUS quite often. Yeah, and still spending time with my friends in my year one. So year one, one, I was just like trying to figure out like what, what type of cool things to apply for. And so Konitari came, came about. And because you're not a scholar, you do not know what the prestige of Konitari is. So you just applied. And one of the things that they had in the interview was to record a video of yourself pitching. And then I was like, oh my gosh, this sounds so similar to what I did in JC, right? So I was like, okay, let's, let's wing this, like pitch the thing. And so I pitched, I, I got into the next round. And then when I went to the next round, you know, like, and then I, I started realizing that, hey, you know, this thing is actually quite serious. You know, people are like around me are like, oh, you know, like it's, it's a serious CCA. Mm-hmm. How do you get inside? You know, like they're just afraid that they, their reputation will risk, you know, things like that. And then there's like, it started dawn on me that like, oh, wow, you know, what our CCA is this? You know, like it's not too strict and, uh, and like army in some ways. Yeah, like they, they want to like snoop on you and everything you do in some ways. And I, I managed to get past the interviews because people believe in me. Uh, so and some of the seniors uh, actually believe in me. I don't think I did that well, to be honest with you. Uh, my present, not in presentation, but rather analytical capabilities and way they present the analysis was not consulting standards. Uh. But then that was how I would say people really take a chance on you and they, they bring you into the club. And it was in Korean that I would say that like it, it shaped me because I learned how to do business cases. Mm-hmm. So you're given one business case every week and you're expected to present with a group of, of three other people which you, you form as a team and then you get to know them very intimately because you spend almost every waking hour with them. So in my year one, like Sam one, I was like completely free on the my girlfriend in US. But then Sam two itself, like I was just completely in school all the time. Like after classes from like, let's say 6 p.m., you went eat dinner for 15 minutes and then you go to like, and for there's no labs. Labs was like, I think started only in the uh, end, end of year one mm. during the summer. So before that, it was just library and then just like case all the way until like 12 midnight and then I'll take like 147 home on the last train or last bus, like 12.55 or something like that. And then like this thing's repeated over and over again for the like next few weeks. Yeah, until recess week. Recess week, I think it was the only break for us. Yeah, so I think that that sort of uh, drew it into, into me this idea about what consulting is, how do you do business cases, or what type of... Uh, things our company is looking out for in terms of profit loss, market entry, things like that. And that's where I would say it boils on, it brings to my next point on private equity because private equity essentially is a combination of both investment banking and consulting. Yeah. And it's only a very recent thing that private equity firms or boutiques actually start coming up. And it's a recent trend because MES has started to invite more private wealth in, in Singapore. And with more private wealth, they need to deploy the funds. Uh, this is on a very high level like kind of thing. Like, it's, only, mm-hmm. it's only like now that I understand it, but back then you wouldn't understand this. Yep. So that's when more private equity funds actually come up, boutiques or even people who just are from a Blackstone or KKR and they, and they realize that they want to start their own fund because 
perhaps you know this gives them higher kind of like bonuses at the end of the year because of promotes and so on. So this is where people now nowadays in twenty twenty or twenty twenty one in the future would have more private equity internships. But back then you wouldn't have that. So the only way probably to think about it was more into consulting. So after having my training in Kongitari, I went on to do several internships. I think the notable ones were, there was one in this Japanese firm called YCP. Mm-hmm. So YCP Group is actually this Japanese management consulting firm and they expanded to Singapore. And when I, when I interviewed there, I was like, wow, you know, this firm is like, sounds like they're very smart people. And yeah, they're, they're people are smart, right? And so we, we went to the interview room. I, I went to the interview room with my other friend and I didn't know what he was going to interview, but this guy was from primary school mate. And then I was looking okay. at him and I was like, oh my gosh, I haven't seen him in ages. <laughs> so, but the, thing, the funny thing is that like, so we answered the questions quite well. We got in both together. And this meeting room we had in the interview was very nice. You know, like, like sits tall people and so on. And then when we started our first day at YCP, we were like, oh my gosh, the size of the office is one quarter of the size of the meeting room. So we were like, what do we get ourselves into? You know, like, is this like some, some scam or something like that? <laughs> like, like I, I know we were getting paid like 800 bucks a month. You know, that's fine with us. But then like, we never expected the entire office to consist of only like, just the director, mm. the another associate. This recently joined Endless and two other interns. Yeah, so we were like, wow, you know what's going on in this entire office? <laughs> yeah. But then I would say this, this entire experience turned out to be really good because they were just starting out. They were just hiring interns and they really were pushing out things. And I, I got to learn a lot of things in, in consulting or like quote-unquote consulting because uh, some of the things I did there were not really consulting. Yeah, but so, I mean, P itself is a very difficult industry to enter, right? So what do you think were some personal qualities you felt like you had that put you ahead of your peers? I'll say that... Um, I'm not a very traditional private equity guy. Like, let's put it that way. In what sense? Like, I'm not a, I didn't come from an investment banking background. I'm, I, I did many other different things before I went into private equity in a way. And in some ways, so where I am right now is not private equity in Alvira. I'm, I'm in a multifamily office and we started a Singapore office with my boss. And I'm running and sort of synergizing several businesses at once. I'm essentially doing the investment advisory piece as well, like trying to figure out like how to grow that, that business. I'm figuring out a co-investments piece, which is more of the traditional private equity. But then that includes both your real estate as well as your, let's say, other kinds of industries like TNT and so on. Mm. And then, then you're, you're trying to look at how to actually synergize uh, and buy over certain other investment advisory firms or external, or external asset managers. So you're, you're literally buying, um, you're literally looking at how to buy a, an equity, equity trading platform, for example. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, so these things are not uh, what a traditional private equity would do. And you have to look at things on different ideas and like all the time. So I think that's, that's kind of uh, probably slightly different from uh, what no private equity guy would do. So if you don't talk in terms of like how I go inside and skill sets, right? It's probably because I was a bit more entrepreneurial in some ways. Thought about things a bit more differently. That's why I can, I'll, I'll be in this role today and I enjoy my role versus, let's say, in probably a normal traditional private equity shop. If you want to talk about, let's say, what skill sets a person can need to go to private equity, 
I actually covered on this before. I can see the slide deck of yep. if people want to listen or hear this. Yeah, I, I gave a talk in NTU. Uh, it, the main thing was about how finance, accounting, and economics join together and converge into both investment banking, consulting, and private equity. Yeah, so I, I think the main takeaway from that is that to, to get into private equity, you need to have your hard skills, which is that you need to understand how, how finance works, how economics works, and how accounting works. And if you don't understand these three well, it is very difficult for you to be privately. Yeah. So, so there are definitely a lot of factors. La. I think mm. I'll attach the thing that, that you mentioned. And let us just touch a bit more on the entrepreneurial side of like what you mentioned. We've come to the end of this episode. To provide you with a better listening experience, we have kept the topic separate. So if you're interested to find out more about mentoring, be sure to check out the next episode where Benjamin brings us through his thoughts on mentoring and how you can actually get yourself a mentor. We appreciate you joining us for this episode of Learning with Young Leaders. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and visit sakoniorigino.com slash podcast for more resources based on today's topic. That's sakoniorigino.com slash podcast. Until next time, stay curious, keep learning.